Welcome to the Fried Hartman Leadership Podcast from the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership, the podcast dedicated to developing and encouraging spiritual leaders for the kingdom. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 7, and this is your host, Dr. Josh Ketchum, with the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership at Fried Hartman University, and we're thankful you're listening to the FHU Leadership Podcast. And Today, I'm excited because I have Dr. Kevin Moore with me. Dr. Kevin Moore is a colleague of mine in the College of Biblical Studies, and welcome, Dr. Moore. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, um, Kevin, I want to just begin by letting our listeners know about you and who you are with your experience and your background and how you got to Freed Hartman. All right. Well, I am a a Freed Hartman graduate, uh, but in 1987, as a single man, I moved to New Zealand to work as a missionary in the capital city of Wellington and uh, worked there for seven years and then returned to Freed Hardeman as missionary in residence. Uh, and so over that two-year period, uh, my wife and I got married and we moved back to New Zealand as newlyweds and lived in Wanganui to start a new work there for the next seven years. That's where both of our daughters were born. We returned to Freed Hardeman in 2003 and uh, after seven and a half years teaching here, we were granted a leave of absence and we moved back to New Zealand to start a new work in Porirua City. And we were there for two years and then uh, returned to New Zealand in 2000, and, I mean, returned to Free Hardeman in 2013. So when you piece it all together, uh, I was uh, working in New Zealand for 16 years and then uh, I've just finished my 20th year here at Free Hardeman. Wow. Uh, you were a missionary in residence when I was here as a student, and I believe I got to take you for a class and enjoyed that experience and enjoyed your wealth of knowledge with missions and appreciate your service and still continue to be active in, in going to New Zealand. Uh, were you able to go last summer? Uh, this past summer was the first trip we've been able to make since COVID hit. We had a trip planned in 2020, but COVID put a stop to that. We actually had a group already organized, but we were finally able to make that trip this past summer. Yes, we appreciate your work. Now, you're the director of, of missions here at Freed Harmon and help us with our missions program. And I also serve as an elder in the church at the church at Estes. So this topic of church leadership is one that you're familiar with. Yes. And, and today, we want to be thinking about a topic that I think we often neglect. We understand the, how the Bible teaches a scriptural church organization with, with elders, overseers, uh, shepherds in a congregation leading the church and then with deacons serving in the church. Um, but what if a congregation cannot have that? I know you've experienced this on the mission field, but also many congregations in America are not able to have uh, scriptural organization because they don't have the qualified men or there may be a young congregation. Uh, so today we're going to be discussing this. Right. Yes. Uh, in fact, my entire career as in full-time ministry, especially on the mission field, uh, I've never had the privilege of working with a congregation that had an eldership. And so uh, coming back to the States and getting plugged into the Estes congregation and eventually uh, being appointed as an elder uh, has really helped me appreciate uh, the wisdom of God and the way he has uh, organized the local church on earth. So, so how do we do church leadership without qualified church leaders? I mean, that, that in and of itself is a challenge. So how do we handle church leadership? Because the church has to be pointed in a direction uh, without having 
the ability to have elders and deacons? Yes, well, obviously, anything short of having a plurality of qualified men serving as congregational leaders is not going to be ideal. Uh, having said that, however, we do have biblical precedent for uh, a local church without qualified elders. Uh, and the question that we need to consider is, how do you do church leadership until uh, you can appoint a plurality of qualified elders? So this ought to be our goal always, to get to a plurality of qualified men who are able to lead that congregation in a local church level. Uh, and that ought to be something we're always seeking to attain. But so how do we do this in the meantime? Because every congregation is going to have to go through this. Yes. Uh, obviously, you start in Scripture. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier, we do have biblical precedent for churches existing, at least for a time, without an eldership. Uh, just note... Acts 14 and verse 23, for example, where Paul and Barnabas, uh, near the end of what we have traditionally called their first missionary campaign, return and go back through the cities where churches had been planted, and they appointed elders in every church. Well, obviously, those churches existed for a time without elders. Mm -hmm. And so uh, each church needs to have leadership, but until you get elders, how do you go about doing that? And that's really the question that, that we're here to talk about today. Well, and that's a great question and one that a lot of churches struggle with. And so, so answer that question for us. We, we, we are here to learn <laughs> at your feet uh, and, and to study the scriptures together. Yes. Well, let me just say as a precursor, uh, just like every individual Christian is different, every congregation is different as far as uh, the makeup of the body. Mm -hmm. Some churches are smaller than others. Uh, some churches have more older or younger people uh, that comprise them. Uh, some churches have more mature or less mature Christians. And so it's not necessarily going to be a one-size-fits-all. Mm -hmm. uh, every situation is going to be unique. And leadership has to develop within the context of that individual congregation. Um, I'd like to just kind of lay a biblical foundation here, uh, and then we'll take it from there. Um, scriptures do not explicitly outline what a congregation is supposed to do without elders, but there are some examples and basic principles that I think that we could learn from. And I would start uh, beyond Acts 14, where we know churches did and do exist without elders, at least for a time, although that is a goal. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul and Silas and probably Timothy arrived in Thessalonica, uh, they reasoned uh, in the synagogues uh, three Sabbaths. So that puts them in Thessalonica uh, approximately three weeks, give or take. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know how long they arrived before the first Sabbath and how long after the third Sabbath they were forced to leave. But the bottom line is they were in Thessalonica less than a month. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were forced to leave prematurely. And not long thereafter, uh, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy uh, are together, most likely in Corinth, 
Acts 18 and verse 5, they all join forces. And this would be near the end of the year 50, the beginning of the year 51, when they pin the first letter to the Thessalonians. Mm -hmm. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17, they remind their readers, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. So that would indicate after their less than one month evangelistic campaign in Thessalonica being forced to leave, it wasn't too long after that this letter was written. But by the time we get to chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, we read, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So the interesting thing here is you've got a congregation that has only recently been established. I mean, we're talking probably just a few months earlier. Mm -hmm. And yet by the time this letter was written, they clearly have a leadership. Now, notice these leaders are not referred to as elders, and it's highly unlikely that they would have had men uh, during this short period who would have developed the qualifications that we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, and yet they had leaders nonetheless. And in my experience, especially on the mission field, when you have a congregation that does not yet have a plurality, of men who meet those qualifications and who can then be appointed officially as the congregational leaders, that is elders, leadership naturally arises mm -hmm. in every congregation. Uh, I think, for example, uh, in the small town of Tai Happy, uh, this is kind of south central um, New Zealand, uh, you had a group of uh, three widow ladies, and a single mother who comprised the church in Taihapi. Obviously, they could not have elders because they didn't have any men in the congregation. But one of those ladies, Gaina, stepped up to the plate, and she made sure that uh, they had a place to meet. She made sure that the elements of the Lord's Supper were ready every Sunday. She made sure that there was a taped sermon that they could listen to. The point is, you have a congregation that did not and could not have elders, but they still had leadership. Uh, people naturally step in, see what needs to be done, and provide that leadership for congregations. So in that sense, leadership just naturally happens. Now, again, the goal is to be fully organized according to the biblical pattern. In the meantime, however, I'm not so sure there is a congregation that has absolutely no leadership whatsoever. People see what needs to be done, they step up to the plate, and they just do it. And it seems to me here in Thessalonica that's what's taken place. Paul actually uses two words to describe their leadership. In English, labor and work. Kapiao and Ergon. Those are the two things that these particular leaders demonstrated that Paul calls upon the rest of the congregation to respect and in a way to submit to. And what I find interesting about that, uh, Ergon work would be the 
the activity of work itself, mm -hmm. whereas kapiao would be more descriptive of the laborious toil that's invested in this work. But those are the same two words or word groups that Paul uses to describe the leadership of the church at Corinth, which apparently was without elders at the time as well. And I would direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I would guess, having worked with multiple congregations without elders, uh, that's probably one of the reasons the Corinth church had so many problems. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not suggesting churches that have a qualified leadership are without problems, but those problems tend to explode, if you will, uh, without a qualified leadership. And so obviously, Paul spends that whole letter of 1 Corinthians addressing these challenges, these problems, giving them directives that they needed to follow. But we get to chapter 16 and verse 15. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. In fact, Stephanus is named at the beginning of this letter as uh, among the first ones that Paul actually baptized with his own hand. So that would indicate this was early on in the work at Corinth. Uh, that they have devoted, that's the form of the word tasso, literally to appoint. Essentially, they appointed themselves to the ministry of the saints. That you submit, hupotasso, to willingly suborder yourself to such men and everyone who works and labors with us. Those are the same two words used to describe the leadership in Thessalonica, labor and work. And so the point is, in all probability, Corinth did not have an official eldership, but there were those, including Stephanus and his household. Paul actually names Fortunatus and Achaicus, uh, Achaicus in verse 17. What seems to be the case is they saw the work that needed to be done, they took the initiative, and they did what needed to be done. And Paul says, in essence, you recognize their leadership. You submit to their leadership. It's not that they usurped the um, wishes of the congregation, but rather they took initiative. What needed to be done, they stepped up to the plate and did it. Mm. Paul describes it as labor and work. They demonstrated their leadership, and Paul says to a congregation that apparently had no elders, you follow their lead. Mm. And so based upon those biblical principles, I would suggest any congregation of the Lord's church today who is in a situation where they are not yet ready to appoint elders, there's going to be someone in the congregation or multiple persons in the congregation who are going to provide that leadership until they reach a point to where elders can be appointed. Kevin, I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody teach what you just taught. That is really interesting and very insightful. And so what you're suggesting is, because I think we often read the First Thessalonians passage. Uh, maybe I should say we, uh, I, instead of we. But I have often read that passage, and I often use that when I'm teaching on eldership and, and talk about the idea that, the members have a responsibility of submitting to them, and Paul's obviously talking about the elders here. But you make the good point that that quite probably there is no eldership there, and that assumption we're making is simply an assumption we're making based on silence, and it's probably not historically accurate. 
And well, so, it helps Josh to be a Bible chronology geek like me, but in principle, it still applies. That would apply to the eldership, yes. but when Paul first penned those words, it's highly unlikely that it would have had reference to an official eldership. Yeah, and when you tie these two words together that are used in both First Corinthians and First Thessalonians, it seems to be a pattern there that Paul is suggesting that these men are working, they're laboring. In other words, I, I teach that when we think about uh, appointing men, is that these are not men, these are men who are already doing these things. Yes. Uh, Everett Hufferson, Everett Ferguson in his book talks about, in Churches of Christ, his uh, great book he does on that, he talks about how we should appoint, the church of Ephesians chapter 4 appoints men who are already serving, who are already shepherding, who are already leading in evangelism, leading in teaching, and they've already demonstrated that. And then you select from amongst yourself men and appoint them. We want you to lead us because we see you doing these yes. things. So what you're saying is the church naturally recognizes these men. And even if they aren't able to serve as elders in a, in a, in a congregation like this, the church follows them because yes. they're doing it. Yes. Now, that needs to be qualified as well with other biblical principles. Yes. Uh, of course, the Bible very clearly teaches that you can identify those who are faithful among you. Second yes. Timothy 2 and verse 2, Timothy was to train faithful men. So there must be some way of observing those among us who would be regarded as faithful, those who would be regarded as spiritual. Galatians 6 and verse 1, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Um, there's another... Um, qualification that I wrote down, uh, oh, mature, First Corinthians 2 and verse 6, yes. uh, we speak among the mature ones. So we can observe those in our midst who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, for example, mm -hmm. uh, Galatians chapter 5, and right after listing the fruit of the Spirit, Paul specifically addresses you who are spiritual. Yeah. So I would suggest in most congregations, of course, some are much larger than others. We can recognize those who have demonstrated their faithfulness by their regularity, by their involvement in the work of the church. We can recognize those who are already serving uh, and demonstrating leadership qualities. And I would suggest in both Thessalonica and Corinth, although it seems they did not have elders for a time, there were those in their midst who were proving themselves mm -hmm. worthy of the rest of the congregation to follow their lead. I think about Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 17, uh, and I wonder if this has an impact on what you're saying. Paul in Philippians three seventeen, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, throughout that epistle, Paul has talked about men of worthy examples. He gives himself in chapter 1. He gives Christ in chapter 2. He gives Timothy and Epaphroditus in chapter 2. And, and then in chapter 3, he deals with some issues with, um, with, the, with the church there and the Judaizing teachers. And so what he then comes down and says, I want you to pick out these men, it seems, that are among them, that are examples to them. And, and, it's, and it's almost like... The, that verse goes well, as well with the verses you're saying, that there are natural men who will emerge as examples 
and we need to follow them and be willing to recognize them. Yes, I mean, that's descriptive of Christ-like leadership. That's how Jesus led. Yeah. He not only taught the gospel, he lived the gospel. Uh, I think of Luke's description of his first volume in Acts 1 and verse 1. It concerned all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So Jesus lived the message. He showed people how to be right with God. Paul did the same thing. First Corinthians 11 and verse 1. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So it's more than just telling people what to do. Yes. It's living a Christ-like life, demonstrating through your labor and work, your initiative, seeing what needs to be done, doing it. That makes you a worthy leader for people to follow. Because leadership is essential. There has to be a leader. You know, in our classes, when we do a small group a project in one hour and a half class, there's, there's naturally going to be a leader that's going to emerge out of that group of five because you have to have someone say we point the way. I was illustrating this with the class yesterday that how good would our basketball team do if, if we said they're not, there's not going to be a coach. We just need all 12 guys to just equally decide. Well, it would be a catastrophe. There has to be a leader. And so even in a congregation that d cannot appoint scriptural elders, there still is an essential element of leadership. And so this suggestion you're making is very good. Um, and so I guess a couple questions that come to mind that I, I want to pick your uh, thoughts about is, is, number one, are you suggesting that the typical model we've used in America of just there's just this equality amongst all men in the church, regardless of their faithfulness, regardless of their work and labor, is not a good model to use and that each man having an equal say uh, in men's business meetings, which can be often um, negative experiences, that that's maybe not the best model? If we had a biblical pattern for the traditional men's business meeting, I would be all in favor of it, mm -hmm. but we don't. And our traditional men's business meeting is not the best way to lead a congregation without elders. Uh, now, I know that there may very well be some exceptions. In fact, I know of exceptions, but generally speaking, if you are of the male gender and you have been baptized, you're automatically incorporated into the leadership. Mm -hmm. But as we examine biblical qualifications of leaders, even those of the male gender are not all qualified to lead the church. And so you might have a situation where you have a large number of teenage boys that have been converted, uh, who are very spiritually immature, who have comparatively little knowledge of scripture. And then you have a small handful of older gentlemen who've been Christians for decades, who are very knowledgeable of the scripture. If we follow the traditional men's business meeting model where everybody has the same amount of authority, this, an equal say, and you take a vote on something, well, that seems to be a gross imbalance. Mm -hmm. That's not in the best interest of the church. And decisions are going to be made that will probably be very detrimental to the church. It seems to me there must be a better way to conduct leadership in a congregation without elders than following that traditional approach. And there's no teaching in Scripture that suggests a democratic process of voting and basing equality of each man having a vote in that, um, in that process. So are, are you suggesting 
that it might be a good pattern or good um, uh, method for the church to select in some way have some type of an appointment of a small group of men that at least serve as a steering committee or serve as some kind that are recognized as men who labor amongst them and that let they're not elders they're not viewed as elders but they help carry out the functions of the church well let me just reaffirm anything short of a qualified eldership is not going to be ideal yes so anything that we try to use as a stopgap measure is going to be less than ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, different congregations try to fill in the gap in different ways, none of which is perfect. There are some churches that uh, use the congregational meeting model. That is, the entire congregation meets together. They discuss the work of the church. Everybody has an equal say. And I've been in some of those meetings, especially on the mission field, and I can tell you from personal experience, that's not the way to do it. Uh, You have some people who are more talkative and more opinionated and louder than others. And generally what happens is those who talk the longest and the loudest get their way. Yes. That's certainly not a scriptural approach to leadership. Uh, Others have tried the men's business meeting model, but again, you run into the same problem. Uh, You've got men who have short tempers. Uh, men who are spiritually immature, giving them an equal say to those who are more spiritually and biblically knowledgeable, again, seems to me is not consistent with biblical leadership. Uh, Others have tried to make it a little bit more formal, as you suggested. They would have a leadership committee. Uh, There's a congregation that I'm aware of in Australia. They choose uh, three, sometimes four men among them that they think would be good leaders and they serve on this leadership committee for, uh, I think, a year or two years. I can't remember uh, the exact length of time. And then when that is finished, they either reappoint them or select others to fill that gap. Uh, The problem is when you get men in that leadership position who are really not good quality leaders, Mm -hmm. and this has caused a great deal of problems for the church I have in mind. Another congregation um, uh, has certain guidelines. If you've been a Christian for an extended period of time, if you have proven yourself to be engaged and uh, you actively participate in the work of the church and you demonstrate leadership, well, then you're invited to be a part of the leadership team. So far, that seems to work well for them. As I said earlier, every congregation is different. Uh, That congregation in Taihapi that had no men, they still had leadership. Uh, Every congregation, in order for it to exist, has some type of leadership. Without leadership, it's going to die. I would suggest probably the better approach, albeit not necessarily the best approach, is for each congregation to let leadership naturally develop in its own midst it's going to happen anyway yes and unless you get some knuckleheads that are trying to first time knuckleheads been used on the podcast i love it <laughs> uh it some of the modern day translations i think use that word to describe <laughs> certain ones in the church not really uh i think in in most situations leadership is going to naturally develop well uh, and 
And what you're saying, I think, sometimes we want to say, well, that didn't work at this church or that led to a problem, so that's not a good model. But if there are scriptural models that lead to many problems. In other words, we've all known of some elders yes. that have sinned. We've all known that some elderships that had very dysfunction within them and had sin within their midst. And that doesn't mean that the model's bad or that the suggestion of, of this way to leadership is, is to do bad uh, because there's sin as humans that's going to exist that has to be fought against. And so I think your suggestion is, is very well uh, made. And that, that kind of leads me to another follow-up question. If, this, if you were to do this model at missions and in local American congregations, what would be some dangers that you see in this that a congregation would want to avoid and what should men that may be listening to this want to avoid in themselves uh, when they hear something like this? Because um, there can be this idea of, of someone wanting to assume this leadership and have a dictatorial or power-hungry yes. role. So what's the dangers you think in that? Am I allowed to use the word knucklehead again? You can. Use it away. <laughs> I suspect uh, the reason God did not see fit to give explicit details on how to conduct leadership in the church without elders is, as I noted before, every congregation is different. Mm -hmm. And so there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all until you get to the point where you have a plurality of men who meet the qualifications in Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus to serve in that capacity. But as you have rightly noted, churches that at least appear to be following the biblical pattern and they have a plurality of men who are called elders, that doesn't always work mm -hmm. because there are men who get into that position who shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would be the same in a, a congregational setting that's not yet ready to appoint elders. You have to determine what is the the makeup of this church, uh, who is demonstrating leadership. If someone is causing problems, you address that just like you would in a church that had elders. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are general principles, basic guidelines to help us deal with church conflict um, that would apply across the board. Yes. But as far as specifics, each autonomous congregation has to determine what's going to be the best way to do this in our situation. Because ultimately, and I think we don't teach this enough, is that the congregation has the authority. Mm. The congregation has the authority. They, uh, they are to appoint elders. They are to rebuke elders, First Timothy 5. Yes. Uh, they are to, thus in the presence of two or three witnesses, have to rebuke or discipline elders. Uh, and so the, we, the congregation does not delegate all of its authority to the elders. The authority then is is. They say lead us, and they want them to lead them. But if, if the eldership begins to teach false doctrine, the church as a whole still has the responsibility of, of correcting that. Yes. And so in a local, in a church that doesn't have elders, there's still a sense of the congregation as a whole should recognize the men that are laboring and working and let them lead them in matters of opinion and give them direction. But they don't give up their congregational authority. Would you would you follow that? Yes. Agree? Well, there's a balance here. Yes. On, on one side, every member of the congregation is responsible for submitting to the divine will as recorded in Scripture, living accordingly, and ensuring the congregation is moving in the right direction. The other side of that, however, is, as we noted, in, especially in First Thessalonians 5 and 1 Corinthians 16, 
congregation also has the responsibility to be submissive to those who are leading, yes. assuming they're leading according to the divine plan. That's right. And leading the church in the right way. So there's a, a twofold responsibility there. Yes, uh, they, they're to submit to them and put themselves under them uh, as they follow the will of God. That's a great clarification point on that. And so what you're saying is is that if a man puts himself over a congregation as Diotrephes does in, in John's letter, is it Third John or Second John? Um, my mind is where Diotrephes is spoken. Yeah, I think it's Third John. Third John. Um, if you have a man like that in that congregation there, possibly did not have elders, and possibly he was, you know, had risen up and kind of was wanting to lead in a way that was harming, even putting out the apostles in that context and rejecting their authority, uh, that, the, that the congregation has a responsibility. Other Christian men, and, in a, and maybe in the cases you mentioned in the one church, women have a responsibility of saying, you're, you're not following the example of Christ. You're not following the principles of Christ, and we're not going to allow the church to go that direction. Well, just consider Revelation chapters 2 and 3 seven churches of Asia, the entirety of each congregation was responsible mm -hmm. for standing against error mm -hmm. and ensuring that they collectively were doing what was right. And uh, how many times did the Lord call upon the entire congregation to repent or mm -hmm. face the consequences? Yes. So each Christian who is a member of a local church has a God-given responsibility to do right and oppose wrong. Uh, collectively, uh, if things are working the way they they are supposed to, that's what each local congregation is doing. Yes, and well, that we've we've gone our normal time for our podcast, and well, this has been rich material. Hopefully, really given the um, some churches out there some things to think about and how they do leadership, and because I'm not for sure on the latest statistics, but I know previously I've seen some statistics that even in America. Somewhere around 50% of our congregations, I think was the statistic I saw, do, do not have elders. Uh, Kevin, are you familiar with statistics? What would you? I, I wouldn't know, but I'm pretty sure uh, the st statistics are even higher outside the United States. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the sad reality is congregations with qualified elders on the mission field are comparatively rare. Yes. Yeah, you're probably looking at closer to 85, 90% there, wouldn't you say? Yes, depending on the part of the world, mm -hmm. of course, but yes. Well, especially when you're bringing in members uh, of the church who are coming from a very worldly, secular context, and they're first-generation Christians. Yes. And you're establishing this church, you know, a true church plant. It's just going to take several years. On your, in your experience, and... Would, would you say it's generally going to take about 20 years for a church to go from, from creation, from planting, from birth, we might say, to mature leadership? Well, the idea, ideal scenario is what we seem to see in the pages of Scripture. After a few years, a church should be ready. Mm -hmm. But, of course, we live in a very different world than the New Testament era. And once again, uh, a lot of it depends on the part of the world and the culture and the society in which the church is planted, uh, what people are coming out of. Uh, but I, I just think of my own experience in New Zealand. Uh, the church, at least in modern times, has been established in New Zealand at least since the 1960s. Mm -hmm. Now, 
technically it goes back to the mid-1800s, but at least since the 1960s, and you would think that there ought to be uh, congregations strong enough to have elders, but for whatever reason, that's just not the case. And each area that I've worked in, I've done my very best through teaching uh, to get us to the point to where we have elders, but for whatever reason, that just hasn't occurred. Yeah. So we're still working on it. Yes. Well, as we close out, is there anything you want to add or any kind of summary statement or anything that you want to make sure you're clear on as we kind of close out the session that we, I might have overlooked? I think we've covered most of the bases. Uh, just to reaffirm, God's design is perfect. Mm -hmm. Anything short of that is not. And so we should always be striving to have churches that are scripturally organized according to God's pattern, and that works. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a congregation that fulfills that. And I've had a lot of experience in other situations where that was not the case. Yeah. And it seems like what the, the suggestion you're making is, in some ways you're patterning it off of the biblical model. And you're saying, let's select men who are exhibiting labor and work and are seen as faithful, let's select them and, and at least have them as a leaders, and they then can be preparing themselves, and it's a much smoother transition into the eldership once they are qualified, uh, instead of just this all men are equal. But even if we don't have an official recognition or appointment or mm -hmm. designation, let's follow their lead. Yeah, that's right. Until we get to the point to where... They can be recognized officially. Because they're going to be there. Yes. Whether we recognize it or not, leadership's going to be there. Yes. It's, it's there whether it's recognized or unrecognized. Uh, well, we, I appreciate so much you coming on. appreciate your study and, and knowledge and, and your wisdom you've shared with us. If we can help you at the center, if we can uh, be able to serve you in any kind of way or be an, a blessing to your congregation or to your church leadership or, or help you in, in an issue you're facing, we encourage you to reach out to us. And our website, and the website is going to be shared with you in our closing, and we look forward to being with you in further episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fried Harmon Leadership Podcast. For more great content and to see the services the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership offers your local congregation, please visit www.supportingspiritualleadership.com. Until next time, remember, God uses ordinary people to lead his people into extraordinary feats.